Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we'll continue on in our study on uh, 1 Samuel. And I have enjoyed preaching through this book and the tale of three rulers. We dealt with Samuel and Saul and uh, still talk about Saul and David and their relationship going forward uh, for the rest of the book, really. Uh, and the battle, more so the battle within, and we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but uh, just how... Saul had to deal with personal struggles and personal battles within that ultimately uh, affected what was on the outside and uh, affected his behavior. Uh, before I jump in, let me read you this thank you note real quickly. Uh, it says, Dear Crossroads Baptist Church family, it says, I will miss each and every one of y'all. I have enjoyed serving with you and have enjoyed meeting and talking with you. You have made me feel at home. I look forward to seeing you all again this winter. And it says, Love, Andrew Campbell. And uh, Andrew started back classes at college yesterday and so called him this afternoon and was talking to him a little bit and uh, he's excited about classes this year so hope that you'll continue to pray for Andrew. Uh, Andrew worked with us this past summer as our intern and did a great job and uh, we're thankful for all that he did and uh, the role that he had over the summer. Uh, let's begin in verse number 46. When we left David and Goliath last week we saw the conversation that started the dialogue between the two of them. And uh, we saw David, uh, the young shepherd, Goliath, the warrior. And remember how Goliath started with words uh, about, you know, I'm going to uh, take your body. I'm going to destroy you, all these different things, and cursed him by his gods. And then David simply said, hey, uh, the only reason I'm out here is to defend the honor of my God. I'm out here to defend him. And we saw that David's faith was on full display in the valley, but his Faith was on display as well on the mountain. We think about our lives today. How often do we have that mountaintop experience and our faith is solid, rock solid. Man, we're, we can charge hell with a squirt gun. Nothing can defeat us. God is so good. And we hit that valley, don't we? And our tune changes. And all of a sudden we have, man, God is good. But when I'm down here in the valley, huh, I'm not so sure. You know, when we have those troubles and trials and it shakes us, you know, we still have the same God. Uh, we still have the exact same Savior. And remember, David wasn't afraid in the valley because he knew in those mountaintop experiences who his God was. And kind of reminds us of Psalm 23 when David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Man, you could relate 1 Samuel 17 to that. You know, hey, I'm going to go down into the valley and there's death. And that's what Goliath wants. And he wants to destroy me. He wants to kill me. And he wants to make a spectacle of me. But I will fear no evil. And David said, for thou art with me. And what was he doing while he is talking to Goliath? He started the narrative last week in uh, verse number 45. Before we can get to our text tonight, I started the narrative and said, hey, uh, God's name is at stake. That's why I'm out here. I, I'm here to defend God's name. He said, I, I didn't come out here with a sword and with a spear and with a shield like you've got. I came out with a name. That's all I have. And sometimes in our Christian life, that might be all we have. When somebody says, hey, what you going to do about it? Not going to do much. I'm going to punch you in Jesus' name. No, you're not. You know, somebody said, well, if we put in Jesus' name, it makes it. No, it doesn't make it all right, okay? Uh, don't tell the judge that. It won't go over very well. But he said, I'm out here because of a name. And we see in verse 46 and 47 in your notes, uh, we start with the confidence. 
the confidence that David has on the battlefield. And verse number 46, David continuing talking, he said, This day, today, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. Now remember, as David repeating, kind of reiterating what Goliath said just a few verses earlier, when Goliath is cursing him, he said, I'm going to feed your flesh to the fowls of the air, the birds, beasts of the field. David kind of doubles down on that in verse 46 and says, I'll smite thee, take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, there it is, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know. Now think about it. All the earth wasn't present that day. But as far as they were concerned, everybody that mattered was there. Hey, that the nation of Israel is here, God's chosen people. The nation that really, if you think about the prophetic time clock in the book of Revelation, when we get to Revelation, everything surrounds Israel. Everything going on in prophecy, and even today, you turn on the news, you don't get through 30 minutes of news without hearing something about the Middle East. It's always on the mind of people. But David says, all the earth will know there's a God in Israel. Verse 47, which is our theme verse for the year. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you in our hands. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on our theme verse. But think about the fact that the reason he came to the valley was to defend the name of the Lord. But what David would find is that the name that he went out to defend is the name that defended him. He went out there on the battle. Hey, I'm going to defend God's name. And the weapon that he used was God's name. God's name ended up defending him. I think about, we think somehow God needs us. God doesn't need us. God desires to use us, yes, but he's God. He doesn't need us. He's the great I am who still is. Tony Evans said, He is who he was, and he is also who he will be because the great I am never steps out of the present tense. I love that. He never steps out. He's always present. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's always present. And it's no different with the word of God. Not just the name of God, but the word of God. Spurgeon said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. We need to just let the word of God defend itself. How do we know that? How do we do that? We apply his word to our lives. We apply it to our own heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart. David, this same guy. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy words. He said, I, I have to have the word of God. Psalm 119, the longest chapter psalm in the entire Bible. Do you know that Psalm 119 is the halfway point of the Bible? Smack dab in the middle of the entire Bible is the longest chapter in the Bible. And every single verse of that chapter, of that psalm, has to do with the Word of God. It's almost like God is sovereign and planned it that way. It's almost like God is trying to make a point. We need the Word of God. 
Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Jeremiah 16, 21. Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. All caps. Intentionally. The supreme ruler over all things. That's, that's L from Genesis 1-1. The one who spoke and it was done. The one who speaks in Revelation chapter 19 and everybody facing him dies. That's the same one we're talking about. It's his name. And that's all that David had. And it was enough. Which I think is ironic because David says, I'm getting ready to cut your head off. With what? David had his little fanny pack. We talked about that last week. You know, uh, David, I would say David turned in his man card, uh, but he didn't turn in his man card because of what he's getting ready to do. Uh, but everybody else, if you have a fanny pack, just go ahead and turn in your man cards, fellas. Uh, but I know they're popular right now, but uh, so keep some sense of your manhood intact. But he has this fanny pack, this script. He's got his sling. He's got these rocks. That's all he's got. And yet he tells Goliath, I'm getting ready to cut your head off. With what? But God provided. He tells Goliath the fate that he's getting ready to face. He says, hey, after I kill you, I'm going to leave your body out here and I'm going to feed all the birds. I'm going to feed all the beasts. This scary giant that caused Israel to cower is getting ready to be animal food. That's what David is saying. He's trying to prove a point, and that point is this. There is a God. Period. Did you realize that the circumstances of our life are for one purpose? To show that there is a God. Everything we face in our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, is there to prove that there is a God. Hey, can I just give you a a secret that you may already know? The way we react to the good and the bad and the ugly, is to prove that there is a God. How we respond to those things. Because the world expects us. Yeah, you're a Christian? Okay. Big deal. The world expects when things are going right for us to be on the mountaintop and everything to be, yeah, we're excited, God is good. But it's in those times in the valley when we can still say God is still good. I don't understand what's going on and I don't like it. Honestly, truthfully, I might not like it, but I can still say that there's a God because he doesn't change. He's still faithful. And sometimes we forget and we think that we're capable of all this stuff and what I brought myself through, but we forget who he is and what he's done. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a settled mind. Why, why is our mind settled? Why do we have confidence? Because of who our confidence is resting in. If I put my confidence in my job and I lose my job, I no longer have confidence. If I put my confidence in a relationship with a spouse or a friend and that relationship fails, what does it do to my confidence? But when I put my confidence in the one who never changes and is always the same, 
and is always faithful and always good. Y'all getting where I'm going with this? When when we put our faith and our confidence in someone who is consistent, then when our faith is shaken, it's not on the source. It comes back to us. Are we trusting him? You know, not only would God prove his existence, but God would also prove that he didn't need their military force. He didn't need their, their wisdom. He didn't need their skill. All he needed was someone who said, pick me. Let me go out there in the name of the Lord. It was someone who had a willing heart and was willing to take a step of faith. And that's the exact same way God works today. That hasn't changed in thousands of years. He still looks for a willing heart that will take a step of faith and understands where all the work comes from. Remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, when he chastised, rebuked the church lovingly, but rebuked the church in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and he said, I've planted, I've done some work. Apollos watered, he did some work, but God gave the increase. And I love how that Paul just highlights the fact that, yes, there is work involved, but God has to bless the work. And he continues in verse number 7 of that same chapter and says, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. People are interchangeable. We realize that, right? You drop dead tonight, somebody will do your job tomorrow. They'll hire somebody to replace you. You know, I heard one preacher say, if we want to think about how long the world will stop, When we're no longer here, stick your hand in a bucket of water and pull it out. And the amount of time it takes for the water to fill the hole where your hand was is how long the world will stop turning when we're gone. It's true. Things don't stop. Just We think, man, they couldn't do it without me. And then when we're not there, they prove us wrong. (laughs) You think about all of the things that Paul said, I've done this and Apollos has done this. And man, we've done big things. But then he drops the hammer and says, we're not anything. So then neither he that planteth is anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. You can interchange the parts all you want to, but unless God blesses, it's all for nothing. If all, unless God blesses, it's not going very far. Hey, if God doesn't do the work, why are we here? If God is not blessing, why are we working? Because it's for nothing. And we can work for our until we're blue in the face and exhausted, but unless God blesses what we're doing, it's all for nothing. I, same preacher said, I don't want to pray, God bless what I'm doing, but help us to do what God is blessing. Uh, God, what do you bless? The things in his word. Uh, God still blesses giving the gospel to every creature. God still blesses one-on-one discipleship. God still blesses people taking their next steps. He still does that. Why? Because it's his word. We're taking him at his word. And that's where David was on the battlefield. God is out here. God is with David. He's giving him that confidence. Why? Because it's his battle. It's his. His name was on the line. His reputation was at stake. Remember, David doesn't have a reputation. He's a good guy. He doesn't have a name. Not yet. 
Uh, his greatest claim to fame is he could play the harp. Ooh. That's impressing Goliath big time. And they got a harp player out there to face you, Goliath. Let's see, we see the confidence. But then number two, we see the composure. Verse number 48. After David makes his claim, his statement, statement of faith, really. Verse 48, and it came to pass when the Philistine arose. Now, I don't know if it means that he was sitting down. I mean, he was a big guy. Maybe he was tired. You know, that long walk from the tent over to where David, I don't know. But something, he starts to move. And what happens when he moves, David moves a lot faster. You say, oh, pastor, you know, he's smaller. Yeah, but he's running. He's not just moving towards Goliath. He's running and came and drew nigh to meet David. David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it. I love that southern term, slang it. You know? Slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. The only reason that David is running here and the only reason that David still has his composure here is because his confidence was completely in the Lord. He was not afraid of dying. You don't see that anywhere. Now, David was just like us. This stuff, flesh, had times of fear. He talked about it in the Psalms. Yet right here in this moment, David was completely confident and ran towards the giant. It reminds us that even though we see the enemy moving and working, we still have a job to do. We can sit over in the corner and be like the Israelites in the army and hide behind the bushes and hopefully they won't see us. Or we can be like David and run towards the battle. There are all kinds of principles in the Bible about being actively working for him. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, gathereth her food in the harvest. Always working, always active. Ecclesiastes 9, 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work. That's a bad word. 2023. <laughs> they work and eat their own bread. I'm eating the things from which my hand have provided. We're supposed to work. It's good for us. You know, Mom and dad used to say it builds character. And calluses, you know, it's just one of those things. It, it helps. We need to work. David puts his hand in the bag in that script and draws out one stone. Now, I've heard preachers say, you know, all the significance to the stones. And, you know, there's preachers in the room. Maybe you've got a great message that you talk about the stones. I'm not knocking that. You know, there were five stones. Five is the number of grace. And here's what each one of the stones represent. Whatever. Uh, you know, uh, I've heard preachers say, you know, Goliath had brothers. And we know that. That's, that was a fact. Goliath had brothers. You know, if they come after me, I'm ready to take them on too, all this stuff. But I just got to wonder if he just said, I'm just going to grab a handful of rocks. And he got five. You know, and just the fact that he, it says he got five. And that's where it ends, okay? Uh, we don't speculate. But the important thing to me is he was ready for the moment. He was ready for the moment. Now think about this. 
He was ready spiritually for the moment. All the time that he spent with the Savior on the hillside watching the sheep. He was ready. He was ready with the rocks. Hey, I'm going to make sure that I got ammunition. And if I miss, I've got another rock. You know, I'm going to make sure that I'm prepared. He was ready in every single way. Ready emotionally because of his confidence in the Lord. He was prepared for this moment. But here's the question for us. How many times have we been in this situation totally unprepared? Not ready. Oh, Satan's here to fight. Oh, my goodness, i got to read my Bible. Oh, pastor, pray for me. I'm not prayed up and I need somebody else to pray. We need to be prepared. Always. Remember, we have no excuse not to be prepared. Because we have been warned. Right? Didn't Peter tell us who our enemy is? 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. Satan's not sitting still. He's walking around, seeking whom he may devour. Who's he looking for? The people who are not ready. The people who are not prepared. Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery, the deception of the devil. He is coming and the battle is going to happen. But will we do anything to be ready? Are we doing anything actively to be ready for battle? We talked last week the fact that the giant falls forward, which is a sign of submission to the Lord. Numbers chapter 20 and verse number 6 gives us a great example of that. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, coming into the tabernacle, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. You and I have the opportunity to submit our lives right now and we look around us and the signs around us of the world and say, man, pastor, what about all this crowd that's anti-God and the, the schools are a mess and this group is having all these parades and all these different things are against God's word and his principles. But here's the raw, skinny truth. Everybody bows. Everybody. See, we can either bow here and for the majority of us, we already have. We've submitted our lives to him, and we've accepted what he's offered, and we want him and wanted, desired him to be our Lord and Savior. We've already bowed the knee, but everybody bows. Every knee will bow, we see in the New Testament. Every tongue will confess. So everybody bows. We get the choice whether or not we bow here or there. But I promise you, you want to bow now. Because eternity is at stake. And those that wait to bow then spend eternity separated from God. Separated from love and hope and peace and His goodness. Separated from Him. We see not only the composure and the confidence. Number three, we see the courage. The courage. Verse number 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him but there was no sword remember we already talked about this no sword in the hand of David he didn't carry Saul's sword out there he didn't have his own sword 
He didn't even have a pocket knife. He didn't have his Swiss Army blade with his scissor attachment. You know, he didn't have any of that. No sword in the hand of David. So how is he going to do what he said he was going to do? It's almost like God had to give him a sword. God had to provide him what he needed when he needed it. Not before then, but when he needed it. He didn't need a sword until Goliath was on the ground. Think about that. What's he going to do? The guy's almost 10 feet tall. (laughs) Lean down here, Goliath, so I can cut your head off. It's not going to happen. But when he was on the ground, God provided what he needed when he needed it. The only two people that we see in this battle that had weapons were the king and the king's son, Saul and Jonathan. Remember, Saul tried to give David his sword. Here, take this armor, David. Jonathan, we don't see in the story. We know he's there, but we don't see him in the story. Iron weapons were scarce in Israel. We see that in chapter 13 and verse number 19. So there was no smith found throughout, no, that's not talking about Jesse Smith. Uh, no smith found about throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords and spears. There was no iron working weapons on the battlefield in Israel's camp. These were farmers, shepherds, simpletons, not warriors. They had slings. And they had sticks. And they had the simple things. Primitive People, not conditioned soldiers. They didn't have those weapons. But David knew, if I'll just follow the Lord and I'll do what he's leading me to do, that when I need it, God will provide it. Isn't that how we're supposed to live every single day? When I need it. uh, God, I need it now. Do we really? Oh, I'm going under. Are you really? Or is God just testing your faith? Is God allowing you to go through a season of trusting? Hey, just trust me. Just trust me. Is God trying to prove something? Well, pastor, I just wish you'd hurry up. But what if the test isn't done? What if the test is not complete? I remember, we've heard the statement, heard preachers say it over and over and over. Where the Lord guides, He what? Provides. We know it, but do we live it? Matthew 7, verse 11. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? We're sinners and we give Christmas presents. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you're sinners. You're evil. You're wicked. You have a sinful heart. And if you know how to do good to your kids, how much more does the God of the universe, who is love and is exemplified by love, what will he give to his kids? There's the truth. He knows our needs before we ask him, and he will not allow his people to be in situations of want. Heard an old preacher say years ago, I've never seen a Christian standing in a bread line. 
Uh, my generation doesn't know what that is. I mean, some of you older folks know what a bread line is. You know, I've never seen a child of God standing in a bread line. It goes back to what David said in Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. But if David hadn't gone one step further, the giant could have gotten up. It, could have been, it would have been super simple to say, oh, he's dead. The rock did it. He could have gotten up. People could have said, oh, Goliath's just messing with David. But a severed head is hard to deny. So what does David do? 600-pound guy, his sword was probably quite heavy. You know, think about his spearhead was over 20 pounds. You know, hold up something and it's long. Those spears were nine feet long. And he's holding something that the head of it's way out there and it's 20 pounds. And he's holding it like it's nothing. Commentators believe that Goliath was at least 600 pounds. Not fat. Pure muscle. He's a big guy. So his sword is not three pounds. And David is a little guy. He's pulling that sword out. And, and I can imagine, you know, Philistines on one side. Oh, Goliath is just messing with him. He's, he's toying with him. He's having fun. You just wait till he gets up. And on the Israelite side, they're saying, you better do what you're going to do right now. He's going to get up any minute. And David, with one swoop, Takes the head off. And I can see, I mean, I don't know, I mean, maybe this is, I'm a, I have a very vivid imagination. You know, I, I can see, go to the New Testament, you know, when the little boy gave his lunch, why did he, why was he there? He was there to get the disciples' autograph on his baseball cards, you know. Uh, I've got three Peters and I've got to get them all signed. I, I mean, just vivid. But I can see Goliath. I'm going to make noise, Jamie. I can see Goliath, or David, taking that head and... And I can see the Philistines laughing until David picked up that head. And realizing, we got somewhere to be. And it's not here. And they forgot all about what Goliath said in verse number 9. Remember his challenge and his promise in verse number 9? He said, if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants? They forgot all about that promise. Hey, that was Goliath's commitment. That's not us. And they take off. Verse 51, when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. They were out of there. Talks about where they went. And verse 52, and the men of Israel arose and shouted. You were there and that happened and you were on the winning side. You'd probably be shouting too. We're not going to die. Woohoo! They shouted. Pursued the Philistines. Come to the valley to the gate of Ekron. The wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Sharam. And even unto Gath, which is a Philistine stronghold. And unto Ekron. What's interesting to me is that when one person stepped out, 
everybody else followed suit. It kind of makes me wonder, who's going to be the person who steps out? Oh, I'm scared. Hey, everybody's scared. Three years ago, we thought we were all going to die. If I leave my house, I'm going to get something, I'm going to get this disease, and everybody around me is dying, so we're all going to die. That was three years ago. And isn't it amazing how we've not near as much concern three years later as we did three years ago? Because everything's kind of settled back to normal, and we're back in our groove. Hey, everything's fine. We're going to live. and Woo! But think about David had to be the one to say, I'm going out there. Whether or not you all go out there or not, I'm going out there. And God's getting ready to do something big. And when he did it, everybody else was encouraged. Maybe God has you going through your battle tonight to be that one to encourage somebody else. Could it be that the reason you're going through this, well, pastor, nobody else understands what I'm going through. This is hard. Could it be that you're that one? And your giant killing story is what's going to encourage and challenge everybody else to get on board. Somebody had to go out there and face the giant. And it was the most unlikely person that could be. Proverbs 27, 17. We use it in men's context, but it's true here. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We... we Feed off each other. For better or worse. We come in here and man, it's Wednesday night, and it's like, all right, it's midweek fill up, and we're gonna get in and we're gonna get our worship on, and we're gonna sing songs. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Jesus is dead. I mean, that's how we sing. Hey, God's still alive just like he was on Sunday, tailgate Sunday. He hasn't changed. He's still in control, still knows what's going on. A whole lot better than we do. But think about the fact that we feed off each other. Hey, if, if the pastor is bummed, other people are going to be bummed. If a Sunday school teacher is bummed, other people. If the worship leader is bummed, most everybody else is going to be bummed. And there's a God who's on the throne and we're on his side. We don't have a reason to be bummed. Because if you read the back in the last chapter, we win. We don't have a reason to be disappointed or discouraged or defeated because we win because we're on his team. And lastly, we see the conquest, verse 53 and 54. And the children of Israel returned from chasing out to the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. If you don't know what that means, they literally stole their stuff. I don't know if it's considered stealing because they were all dead, but it's, they spoiled their tents. That's what it means. And David took the head of the Philistine. Remember that? He kept it. That was probably gross. It was gross. But he kept it. What did he do with it? He brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Not only did God allow them to see the battle, God allowed them to take the spoil. David got the armor and a head. Now, think about the other men. They went to tents and stole stuff, took stuff, spoiled the tents, took all of those things. But David got giant's armor. Armor that wouldn't fit anybody else. Nobody else wanted to steal his armor. That's like people who want to steal a stop sign. 
or steal a, a street sign. Who are you going to tell? Everybody's going to know you did it. I mean, that makes sense to me. But anyway, think about David got the giant armor. And Saul wanted to send him armor on loan. And God said, no, 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 I'm going to give David his own. Saul said, I'm going to give him something to borrow. And David said, no, I don't need that. God's going to provide me some. We don't have any record that David went to Jerusalem immediately, by the way. So can you imagine David carrying around this skull from place to place? Carrying this around, but imagine him coming to town, whatever that head looked like at that point. Disgusting, stinky, rotten. But that skull was a reminder to everybody who saw it of the faithfulness of God and that they had a God. They had a God who did big things. Not so David could brag on himself, but for the people to be reminded that God still defeats giants. Uh, What is God, what kind of giant head, if we could say that, What kind of trophy piece does God want you to have? Where you can say, right there, right? That is the moment when God came through. I can go back to that event in my life and say that God did something. Henry Blackaby said in his book, Experiencing God, there's spiritual markers. We ought to be able to look back in our life and see spiritual markers where God has woven a story in our life. But think about the fact 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. Not was faithful. Not will be faithful. It's in the present tense. Is faithful. That means always is faithful. Always will be faithful. The Lord is faithful who shall establish you. He's going to settle you. He's going to protect you. He's going to sustain you. And keep you from evil. Hudson Taylor, which you walk out in the lobby tonight, you'll see his picture on one of the posters. Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And when we take God at his word, and we take a step of faith, confident that he's going to come through, hey, he doesn't lose, church. He never has and he's never going to. He doesn't lose. So we can have our complete faith in him, knowing that he's going to come through. Father, thank you so much for your word. and Thank you for the promises that you've given to us. Thank you for this story. And Lord, all of us, whether we realize it or not, we have a giant story in our lives. Lord, we have something that we can point to in our lives where God came through right there. We can look back and Ask, if we think about it, we can think of times in our lives where it just could not be explained any other way but that you did it. And Lord, in those seasons where we're in the valley and we're just contemplating what you're doing and what you're up to and how you're going to come through yet again, help us to see those spiritual markers. Help us to look at that collection of giant heads that you have provided through the course of our life, course of our journey with you, times where we have seen you slay the giants in our lives.
And Lord, thank you for allowing us to be reminded of it on a regular basis. Just how faithful you really are. Lord, please help us to commit this to our lives and help us to apply these truths so that we may draw closer to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go to our time of prayer.